Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Thank you so much. Let me just say, you guys have a, a great pastor. Not, I'm not saying this because he's my, one of my good friends, but rarely do you see pastors talking about things that he just talked about. And one of the things that I've been really trying to teach our church is uh, it's not what we want from you, but what we want for you. Because when you think about offering or just having generosity, I think it's one of the fruits that I see from a life that has been transformed. And I think that's Pastor Dave's heart. He wants all of us to experience God and through that, other people to experience God. So rarely will you hear things like that from pastors and churches in general. But for him to share that, I know I could feel that this is something he wants for you, not from you, but for you so you can grow. So uh, I don't like in our church, I don't know, sometimes maybe I'm influenced too much sometimes by the black church, but they always call uh, the pastor's wife the first lady of the house. And so let's just give a, just thanking God, but let's give applause for Pastor Dave and Jeannie. Can we just do that just briefly? Amen. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Just thank you for your heart and just all the staff and those of you who served. Uh, what a great privilege to be here. I wanted to thank all of you personally because I've been watching you. Some of you are like, oh, great. No, because I, I'm saying this genuinely from my heart because I've worked with college students for so many years that one of the big issues, how do you transition from college life to single adult life than to married life? And I've just concluded over the years, like, once you get married, it's game over. You know, it's just too hard because life is just hard. And then you add a little of these sinnerlings, these sinners, these little kids that run around. I'm like, not only is the game over, it's buried and dead. I go, they will never serve. They will never get excited about anything. And as I was watching this church, many of you pulling like, you know, three kids, carrying them and late at night, like 9.30 or 10 o'clock or so, I was watching you and I'm like, man, I am so blessed. I am so blessed that even in the midst of just trying to raise kids, these toddlers, that you guys are still coming out and worshiping God. And it really encouraged me. In fact, I have so much to share when I get back. It is possible. You know, it, it can be done. And so I just wanted to thank you just for your example and just the love that you've shown and just different conversations I've had with you. Some of you uh, awkwardly said hi. You're like, oh, hi, pastor. And I'm like, hi, you know. But, but anyway, thank you for saying hi. And um, I'm really excited to just go back to Hong Kong. And please keep Hong Kong in prayer. As some of you probably have heard, it's been about eight weeks straight weekends of rioting and a lot of violence. And I don't know, maybe God always pulls me away from that because so, I won't be jumping in and trying to, you know, my activist spirit or whatever. But all I can say is uh, just keep us in prayer because even in our church, there's a lot of uh, division um, on this issue. So trying to bring unity, uh, I would really appreciate that. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 15. We're going to start from verse 12 and look through verse 17. 
We're going to be looking at these six verses for this morning as we close out our retreat. Uh, welcome to those of you who are here just for uh, this Sunday celebration. And we've just been talking about the first night just getting recharged through our prayers. And that's how we reconnect with God. And that's such a vital part of growing and getting our hearts revived and renewed. And then we talked about the importance of getting recharged through our worship. Because so many things happen in life that what we focus our eyes upon, that will make all the difference in the world. And to be able to catch a vision of who God is. And then from there responding to him in obedience and love for him. And then we talked about the importance of being recharged through our mission. What is it that God has called us to do? It's not just to be saved and live this good Christian life and then we die and go to heaven. But we're called to be agents of change wherever we go. And as we understand our why in life. Why do we do what we do? So we talked about that. And this morning as we close out, I want to talk about being recharged through our community. The community of faith right here. Why is this so important? And so I want to start off with a question. I'm wondering how many of you have ever felt negative emotions and even felt more lonely than ever before after looking at social media? You don't have to raise your hand, but think about this for a moment. And by the way, I know we have... 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and above, Facebook is out, okay? I'm just telling you right now from the younger generation, as soon as parents jumped on that, kids are like, we're out of here. And so now they're on other social media. Just to let you guys know, they're on Snapchat and TikTok and somebody like, Tik what? And so uh, just to let you know, there's a lot of other social medias. And um, just working with young people, you have to keep up with all these things and see where they're sinning and doing other things. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, as I was thinking about this, uh, it's amazing how you just scroll through, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media that you use, uh, you're looking at other people's lives. And it's so easy as you're looking through, it's like, man, I, I want that life. Or why can't I be like that? And you see like, couple's goal or marriage goals and you're like my marriage sucks and you're like oh my god what's going on and it brings a lot of sense of isolation and even depression and loneliness i think if we're honest we begin to feel things like jealousy bitterness anger and even discouragement as we look at some of the social media it is estimated that three billion that's a b three billion people In this world, that's about 40% of the world's population use online social media. That's a lot of people. And the people are spending an average of two hours every single day. Two hours. Several studies since 2010 have shown that there is a link with more social or frequent social media usage with depression or at least depression-like symptoms. So what I wanted to do is just show you this quick video that really depicts the reality of social media. And I think many of us can probably relate if we have ever done anything related to this in the context of social media. But I want to just also awaken many of us as we think about what we see on social media on a regular basis. What's really going on behind the scenes. So let's just watch this and then I'll come back up.
I don't know if you know this or not, but Instagram, they're in the process and discussions of taking out the heart, the like, because it's become almost like a, a drug where it lights up the frontal cortex as soon as you get a hit of a like. And so it's training up these young kids where their brain is still developing to almost have being high on crack cocaine and it's altering their brains. Even working with young people, I have seen more people struggling with depression and suicide than ever before in the last 20 some years. And I believe that some of this is caused to uh, caused by social media. I'm not saying necessarily there's a direct correlation but, or causation, but one of the things that I will say is that we have to look into this. Why am I sharing all this? Because I think isolation and loneliness, they are becoming a serious issue in the world today. A, a new study published by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, a team of researchers from the University of California and the University of Chicago, They asked 141 elderly people to take a questionnaire that assessed their level of social isolation. And then from there, they began to study 400 immune genes in uh, these elderly people. And they found out 26% of the elderly people who were socially isolated had more non-active genes that fight viral infections. So oftentimes, a lot of them end up getting diseases or sickness, and they pass away. In other words, people are more socially isolated, are less able to fight viral infections, which makes them more susceptible to a higher mortality rate. And so we're just talking about this. We're just scratching the surface. I believe that we're going to find out more things in the years to come. I'm wondering what would happen if the lost, the lonely, the hurting, the marginalized, if some of these people will actually come to know Jesus Christ through this community. I think as we close out this retreat, the reason why I wanted to close out with this is because I want to offer you some hope. That what you have here is such a good thing. In fact, I think it could be even greater. Reach out to more people, more families, to see more baptisms in the years to come. More generosity, people who are going out and being sent out into the workplace, into the neighborhoods, go out into different nations around the world to share the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. But that means that we have to be recharged through this community and then also to allow this community to recharge other people as they come here and join. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing, once again, is simply this, that we all need a gospel community So we must make it a priority. That we all need a gospel community. So we must make it a priority in our lives. I want to talk about two things here. As we talk about needing a gospel community. So we can make it a priority. The first thing. As we want to look in this passage. That many of you are probably familiar with. Is that Jesus exemplifies the love. That he exemplifies the very love that he wants us to live out. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 12. Through 13 from John chapter 15. This is what the word of God says. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. In verse 12 Jesus gives us this clear commandment. To love one another. 
And can I just say this? And sometimes when we read scripture, we keep on forgetting. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Something that he demands from us. That we ought to love one another. This command was already given earlier in John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. And the ESV says this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's Jesus giving a clear command. And in this command, he's giving it because of two specific reasons. I want you to think through this with me for a moment. The first reason that he gives this command is, is about the source. Where is this love coming from? In verse 9, you will notice, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. We see that the Father's love for the Son is the foundation for Jesus' love for the disciples. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse, chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, it says, and once again, okay, are you ready? Get ready to uh, warm them up. Those of you who just came to our, our retreat this Sunday, you know, we've just been chilling, and uh, one of the things we've been telling people is when you see the yellow, I want you guys to read it with me. Amen? <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. Anyway, turn to somebody and say, uh, you better be reading in the yellow, all right? <laughs> okay, here we go. It says this, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What we see is love is from God, and God is love. He is the source of any love. And that's one thing that I'm beginning to realize more and more. You know, you you know this, but then you realize it deeper. Like there are times when I don't feel so connected to God. Even as a pastor, you're just going through the motions, you're preparing, you're reading the Bible, but you're doing it for a sermon. And there are times where I just don't feel very connected to God. And I realize that it's in those moments when I'm not really connected to the source of God's love for me, understanding what he has done by sending his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, that he sacrificially laid down his life for me. And he served me in that way, loved me unconditionally, when I forget that, when I'm not connected to that, I realize I have such a hard time with my wife. I have a really hard time with my kids. I have a really hard time with people in our church. And the more I begin to analyze this in my life, I realize it's not my own love. Some of you are very loving people. And definitely more loving than me. You're very loving people. You're just nice and kind by nature. But that will not be enough because it's going to run out. Some of you are saying, I'm a loving person. Yeah, because you have all loving people around you. We have this thing called uh, EGR. It's called extra grace required people. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. They just seem a little extra grace because you're like, oh, Lord. And you see them coming down there, you're like, oh, Lord. You know know those people. uh, there's no one like that in this church. But in my church, there's a lot of those kind of people. And you think about it and you just realize, oh, they require extra grace. But I realize we need extra grace 
to be able to love them. Just wait until those people come in your life and you realize you're not that loving. Wait until your kids disobey. You realize you're not that loving. Just think about our lives. And I want to tell you right now, that love that you have for your kids, for your spouse, for people around you, even your small group members and people in the church, it will run out. But when you're connected to God because he's the source of this love, you're able to love supernaturally. You're able to love even beyond your own capability. And that's what heals marriages. That's what heals relationship with your kids, with your coworkers, your neighbors, your extended family. Therefore, it's not a human kind of love, but a love that comes from God. It's, it's interesting that we need to remain or abide in God's love. It's repeated three times in verse 9 and 10, which we didn't read. But if you look at it, it's repeated three times. Abiding, remaining, connecting with God. Not only the source, but I want you to notice the sacrifice. Jesus focuses on the response of experiencing his love. Since the disciples have been loved by Jesus, now he says you're able to love one another, which I mentioned earlier. The more you understand the gospel in your life, the more you're going to be able to love people. I met some of the most incredibly just loving, big-hearted, generous people who either got arrested or they were spent some time in jail and they were forgiven of their sins and they realized that they just messed up. Those people who were addicted to things and they've been set free and healed. I realized that many of those people are the most generous people in their spirit and they're able to love generously because they understand that they're messed up but God healed them, worked in their lives. And now when they see somebody else who's struggling, their heart just bleeds for them because they believe that it's God in the same way has transformed their lives that God can transform that person's life. That's what I've been sharing with some of you. Some of you who might be struggling, whether it's in your marriage or maybe just with relationally with people, or you're going through certain things in your life that are very difficult, that as you trust in God and you see him transform your life by faith and trusting in him and him alone, you're going to see other people who are going through the same thing that you've gone through and your heart is going to bleed for them and you're going to have an incredible ministry to those people. And that's why I've always said, out of our greatest misery comes forth our greatest ministry. It is through the pain in your life that God, as he heals you, he will be able to then use you to minister to other people. When we look at verse 13, Jesus talks about laying down one's life for a friend. Jesus' words were powerful because he was probably thinking about going to the cross. He, he didn't go to the cross yet, so he's thinking about this. And so for him to say what he did in verse 13, he's already thinking about the cross. Jesus knew that he was going to lay down his life for these disciples, for his friends. He knew that the disciples would not fully understand nor appreciate in this moment of what he's about to do. I think it's very similar to our kids. Uh, Like I said, I'm I'm watching you and I I feel so much pain at the same time, so much joy. 
with all these little kids. And, and trust me, they're going to get to a stage where they're like, you don't love me. And every single time I would hear that from my kids, I go, say what? You know, I wiped your butt. You know, I did a lot of things. You're telling me I don't love you. You just, you just want to put another hole in their face. Like, what are you talking about? I don't love you. So you don't give them a candy. You don't give them like, or, or even just a tech time. You know, they want to use whatever they want to use. And you know, you don't love me. And I'm just like, mm, mm, mm. Now I'll show you love. It wasn't until probably my freshman year in college when I really, it hit me. It was just God's sovereign work where I was just a spoiled little brat, always having my way. My parents, uh, after getting in trouble with the law uh, several times, my parents, they literally submitted and realized this guy either is going to be in jail by by the time he's 20, something's going to happen to this guy that my parents really, instead of parenting, they kind of gave in 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 different ways. And I just remember just thinking that I'm entitled to all this stuff. And especially growing up in a WOMED and going to neutral high school, you know, you think to yourself, like, I deserve all this. And as I was thinking through this, I I, I remember it was just my first exam in college. And uh, I, I think I failed that one. It was really bad. And so I was coming back a little bit depressed. And as I was just laying in bed, I don't know why in that moment God met me. Like I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing anything. It just, it was just a memory of how much my parents sacrificed. Where we lived very comfortably in Korea, but they moved to the States. They couldn't speak the language. So instead of trying to get the pharmacy, uh, you have to pass this board thing. My dad decided to work in the South side of Chicago along with my mom. Thinking about my dad almost passed away when a bunch of thugs came in and they beat him up. And the doctor said he was like one inch away. If you hit him in a certain part of the brain, he would have died. Seeing that as a little kid, a 10-year-old kid, seeing that, my dad uh, almost passing away. Experiencing all the things that I did. I don't know why. It was like a flash of memory just coming at me like terabyte at a time. It was like... (laughs) And I was thinking about all the times they sacrificed, all the times they worked late. And just that feeling of gratitude just started filling my heart. And I'm like, wow, God, like my parents sacrificed so much. And in that moment, there was a turn when I began to realize how much Christ sacrificed even more than my parents. And it was in that connection where I just felt this complete gratitude and thankfulness that I began to weep, thinking about my parents, and then connecting that to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. And as it hit me really hard, I realized, wow, this is the love of God. That's why in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, in the New Living Translation, it says this. We know that what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Listen to the message translation. You ready? It says this. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. I think this is one of the trademarks of a follower of Jesus Christ. To be able to love people that you have no business loving. They they haven't done anything for you. 
they owe you nothing. And that's why I always said this. One of the beautiful things about those whose lives have been transformed by Christ, you could genuinely tell if someone experienced God's love when they can love people who could do nothing for them. Oh, we're very loving. We know that they can give us a job or open that door or provide something for us. We're very loving. Because it's really, we're in it for ourselves. But to love people and to serve people where they can never do anything for you, to me that shows that your life has been touched by the love of God. But the amazing part of Jesus' love is that he loved us when we could do nothing for him. He loved us while we were his enemies. Even that song that we sang, we were his foe. But he kept on fighting for us. We were people who deserved death, but he still loved us. I think this is why if we're able to experience community, we need to experience God's love and then respond to that love by loving people. What would it be like if I was a newcomer with my family and we're looking for a church in Chicago and I stepped into your church? Would I be talking with Christina and my kids going off to, I don't know, Seeds or some youth group or whatever. Uh, just try to imagine me like 20 years younger, right? Just a 40-year-old or late, mid-30s with little kids. You don't think I love you? Anyway, and, and, you know, here you are. And I'm walking into this church, and I'm wondering if after the service and after everything's done, we're in the car, we're like, wow, that was great. Let's come back next week. What would happen? I really believe that you guys will reach Chicago. Not this one church alone, but there are many other churches, but you will reach the people that God will bring your way. And I know myself, I will definitely, wow, that was great. And then I will start talking to some of my friends, say, hey, you guys got to check out this church. Especially knowing that here's this couple who's struggling in marriage or this family has a kid who's a teenager just going totally wild and they're struggling. There's no hope. They're going through some financial crisis in their life. They're struggling with other things going on with their extended family, with their parents. Hey, why don't you come out? I would love for you to meet some people. I think the problem is that our selfishness and our self-centeredness hinders us from responding to people with God's love. One of the things I had to address in our church was there were, God was bringing local Hong Kong people, which was great. Many of them were those who studied abroad and then came back to Hong Kong. They're, we call them the third culture people. So they've become the bridge between people like us, the, the second culture, the expats, with the first culture, the local people. And then we started having some mainland Chinese people come to our church. And it was great just to see. And then I began to sense that there was a little bit of a wall or some animosity, little comments that were made, and I realized something's going on. And I realized that there was a lot of just kind of animosity or hatred towards the mainland Chinese people from the local people. So I'm like, what is going on? And they're like, well, they're just ruining our culture, that they're not really mannered, and, you know, we're from the U.K., the British. So you you like being colonized. Okay, I I, I see where it goes. Okay, Uh uh-huh. Slave mentality. You know, I'm like, okay, y'all. No. So I'm just like, okay, I get it. Like, you guys are more Western. You guys have, like, certain, like, views of democracy. I get it. Because I'm from America. I get it. Okay? I get it. And then I talk to the Chinese people, and they're just like, man, I hate these local Hong Kong people because they're so mean. 
and the way they treat us. No one wants to be disrespected like that. So I'm like, oh, Lord. So I'm like, we have a problem. And usually when I preach, I'm really nice. No, I, I, I speak the truth. I, I, I lay it out. And I said, if I don't offend you once in my sermon, then I haven't preached the gospel because the gospel is offensive. Can I get a good amen to that? Uh-huh. You're a sinner. Like, oh, okay, no one wants to hear that. Someone's going to get offended. Um, <laughs> and so I, I'm like, we have a problem. And I had to address this for the first two years, constantly, of this division, this hatred. And this is just in Hong Kong alone, but one of the things I've noticed that even in many churches here in the United States, sometimes it's divided by social economic value. I saw that in Indonesia when we planted our first international church. We had Indonesian Indonesians, those who were the local Indonesians, and we had the Chinese Indonesians who had all the money. And no disrespect to any one of those groups, but one of the things that I've said is this, listen. When it was fellowship time, all the Chinese Indonesians wanted to go out and spend all this money because they had the money. They were wealthy. They owned all of Indonesia, these conglomerates, families. While some of these guys who are from these poor, poor rural areas who came to university so that, for free so that then they will have to serve in some of these different schools that they have, like they had nothing and they're living almost on maybe 100, 200 USD a month compared to many of these guys who have millions of dollars. So I had to, in a very nice way, but speak the truth and say, listen, if all you think about is your fun and about yourself, then you have forgotten there are brothers and sisters who cannot do what you do. So I've told them very clearly, if you're going to do that, think about them. Either you bless them and help pay for that so you guys can do it together, or find another activity. Or don't post it on social media. Think. Because that is brotherly and sisterly love. Because you are thinking about the other person. I love what Ori and Ram Brafman said in their book, Click. They write this. Allowing yourself to be vulnerable helps the other person to trust you. Precisely because you are putting yourself at emotional, psychological, or physical risk. Other people tend to react by being more open and vulnerable themselves. The fact that both of you are letting down your guard helps to lay the groundwork for a faster, closer, personal connection. When you both make yourselves vulnerable from the onset and are candid in revealing who you are and how you think and feel, you create an environment that fosters the kind of openness that can lead to an instant connection, a click. I don't know how your small groups have been going. But if you come off and say, yeah, yeah I, I heard that message before. And I kind of expounded on it. And in, in the Greek, uh, what it was really trying to say, they're going to be looking at you and say, extra grace required people. You know, you, you, you're going to be thinking like that. But if you say, hey, man, I'm struggling in my marriage. Just opening your heart up. Those other three guys are going to be like, whoa, this guy is being vulnerable. And it's very difficult to hide it even yourself when you're under an honest confession and you're like, you know what, dude, it's all right, man, because I'm struggling myself. There's something that happens in community when you're able to be 
completely open and with no judgment. And I'm going to tell you, it is one of the most scariest things because the reality is you might get judged. The reality is you might not lo- no longer be accepted unconditionally. Now they're going to be judging you. Now they're going to be like, uh, I don't know if I want you to, you know, be, I, wanna, I don't know if I want to be a friend. I don't know if I want my families to hang out. Like we, we think of these things and all I can say is in order for us to say, God, we want to see a community that you yourself exemplified the kind of love that you want for us to show. Then it's going to start with experiencing the gospel afresh. That he loved us in spite of who we are. How about us this morning? Are we vulnerable and open to one another? Do we understand where the source of love comes from? It's not because of your personality, but you have to be connected to God. I'm wondering, does the sacrifice of Christ motivate you to sacrifice yourself for others? Let me close with the second point. Jesus not only exemplifies the love, but Jesus expects us to love. He expects us to love. Some of you know, not only do I love this man very much, we went through a lot. He went to prom with my sister. I'm like, hey, man. So uh, there's a lot of stuff, you know. Uh, we go, we go way back. But I'm thankful because as some of you know, and you probably know Dr. C very well, he's also a good friend of mine. And uh, Pastor Peter Kim, I don't know if you uh, know who he is. Uh, he since then moved from Chicago. But there's a handful of guys that I spent almost 37 years of my life with. And the most powerful thing about this is that I have known them for so much of my life, and they have been there through all the ups and downs. And that's why it's, I love it that we can lay, uh, lay, uh, lay out a hair, you know, hair down, well, whatever hair we have. We could just kind of, you know, we could just kind of just be ourselves. And no matter how much we're getting public recognition or we're doing all this stuff and people are recognizing us, we know each other so we're like, so that when we start getting proud, we're like, we know you, man. We know what you've been doing and all that kind of stuff in the past. So, so that's why we could be real. We could just be honest with one another. And it's, it's a special thing. And I'm just so thankful. And I'm praying that for all of you, that you'll have people like that, whether in this church or some people in your life. So I wanted to give you a journey, a journey of our friendship. And there's this thing, and I'm sure Pastor Dave might have shared this. I don't know if he has or not. But he might have shared the story of this group of guys called the Kadar Group. And we once a year go out and we read books and we discuss things and talk about things. We eat, we pray together, we watch movies. And I don't know, all the stuff that we do, just hanging out, right? And so I want to kind of give you this journey. And it first started with uh, four of us. It was me, uh, Pastor Dave, Dr. Steve, and Pastor Peter, and we decided to meet halfway from Michigan to Chicago, and it was in Benton Harbor. It was the worst experience of our lives. We said, we're never going to go to Benton Harbor ever again. But let me just, before I show you the picture, can I just warn you ahead of time? This is like going back into the old days. You know what I'm saying? OG, you know what I'm saying? This is it. OG stuff. So the pants are a a little bit wider. Our hair is a little bit fuller. We're a little bit skinnier. So please don't be alarmed, okay? It is us. So I just wanted to let you guys know. So here's the first Kada group that we had. Can we show this? Oh, actually, let me start with this picture. Sorry. This was our most recent one that we had in Philadelphia um, um, earlier this year. 
And it was a great time as we have just celebrated our friendship for almost 37 some years. And this is our most recent one. But let me go way back. So let me show the next picture. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Come on now. Who's that good looking man on the right? Okay, you know what I'm saying? His pants were made out of flags. So it was flapping. <laughs> All right. But this was our first meeting that we had, and we met in Benton Harbor, and it was great just to pray together, uh, talk about different issues. But I want to just say this, as I kind of give you a journey of our history and the friendship that we have and this Kadab meeting that we've been having, every single one of these pictures, uh, they're very significant to me and to us because something happened in those gatherings that changed the course of our lives. And so this was the first one where we just decided to get together and to just pray and to study and to keep on growing in our friendship and growing as pastors because that's a very important thing. So this is uh, back in 2002, and it was in Michigan. We'll never go there again. All right. The next one. And this was in Fort Myers, and uh, it was a great time. Then we added Pastor Paul Kim, those of you who might know him, and he was able to join us. So... We were there, and it was hilarious. We were trying to take this perfect sunset. We're like, hurry up, hurry up. You know, it just felt like a couple. Anyway, so we were trying to take this picture. And uh, this was the one where I I think for me personally, I was just going through a lot of, because this was in uh, 2003, so it's about six, seven years into our church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the first several years is exciting because you're planning this church. But after about the sixth, seventh year, you you hit this kind of like this wall. And I, I know for myself, just being at this uh, gathering that we had, it really rejuvenated me. So every time I think about Fort Myers, I think about how I was struggling. I just felt like I was hitting this wall. But just meeting up with them, it just refreshed me. And just being at Fort Myers in Florida, just to kind of chill and to talk and to pray together, it was just a wonderful time. The next picture here, Jesus, 2005, and this was in Kenya. And the reason why this was special is not only Pastor Young was able to join us, and so the whole crew was there, but this is when Dr. Steve was in Kenya. And when Dr. Steve was in Kenya, he was just kind of going through his own different issues, and so we decided, hey, we're brothers. We're going to actually have our Kada meeting all the way in Africa. And so we decided to all fly. We're all busy, but we said, you know what? It is so important that we're there for this brother in Christ that we love and literal brother, but uh, we want to fly out there, and we're going to be there for him. And he shared afterwards how he was so refreshed and so thankful that we were all willing to all fly to Africa. Well, I said, well, if, as long as we do a safari, hey, I'm there, you know, so, you know, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but we were there and just ministering to him, and it was just an encouraging time. So and when I think about the Kenya trip, I think about just us ministering to Dr. Steve and just loving on him that he was one of the first ones that went off to go and do missions. The next picture, uh, this was in Miami in 2009. So we're slowly getting a little bit bigger, you know, and our hair is slowly uh, getting thinner. But this was a Miami trip that was very important for one of our, our friends here. I won't mention any names. But this was the trip that I think we had to sat, uh, we sat this person down and talked about how he needs to get married. And that there are some people uh, that he had options with and we were trying to encourage him, bro, there's a lot of fear in your heart. So we were ministering to this brother. Uh, 
And it was so powerful because like we were not like, come on. But we were like speaking truth into this person's life. It was like arrows. Forget about arrows. It was like missiles coming right at him to really encourage him. And then, believe it or not, he got married and now he has kids. And it's great. And just to think that that was the meeting where we had that talk. I think it was really Pastor Dave. You know, he has a way. He's just so nice. But then when he comes at you, it's just, it's not just right at you. He has daggers from his side. And he's poking you from the back. You're like, oh, getting convicted. And I think they were in a hot tub together. And they're that, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it just sedates you. So one of our guys are like, oh, yeah, I need to get married. You know, I don't know. But Pastor Dave was doing his thing. And we were just trying to encourage that brother to get married to this person because it was a wonderful person. And so anyway. That meeting, when I think about Miami, I think about that. The next picture is Kadad in 2012. We ended up going to L.A. because uh, our friend, uh, Pastor Paul, he was struggling through just a lot of different things he was going through. And he finally ended up moving out to L.A. uh, from his previous pastorate in Philadelphia. And so we wanted to be there, there for him as he was starting off his new ministry in L.A., and just once again, it's, it's not about the location, but wherever people are just within our friendship that we're willing to be there with that person. And that was such a powerful moment. And the next picture, this is an important one for me personally because this was a Kadab meeting in 2015 in Lake Geneva right here in Wisconsin. And the reason why this is important was this is right before we were going to Hong Kong. And they literally said, hey, like before you go out, we want to let's just do another Kadad here. And we want to just love on you. And they were praying for me. So every time I think about Lake Geneva in 2015, I think about these brothers who stood with me. Because I had a lot of fears. I didn't know what was going to happen in Hong Kong and how we're going to support ourselves. And starting all over again from scratch. And so I just realized having them there praying for me. This one is very significant because it brought back memories of the kind of love that they have demonstrated to me. The Christ love over the years. And then I think there's one more. This was actually in Hong Kong and just about a year ago. And uh, they all came to Hong Kong because they wanted to try out the dim sum. No, I'm kidding. Well, partly. But uh, they said, hey, we've been praying for you. So we want to see what God is doing. We want to bless you at where you are. So they all flew over to Hong Kong. And they were able to not only bless me but serve and to see our church. And it was such a wonderful time just to have them uh, in Hong Kong in my own home ground over there why am i sharing all this because when you experience the love of jesus christ it does something to you where you want to love people unconditionally even though with all the times that we fight and we don't get along in certain ways but we're able to do it because christ has loved us listen to what dietrich bonhoeffer said in his book life together the pious community permits no one to be a sinner Hence, all have to conceal their sins from themselves and from the community. We are not allowed to be sinners. Many Christians would be unimaginably horrified if a real sinner were suddenly to turn up amongst the pious. So we remain alone with our sin, trapped in lies and hypocrisy, and for we are, in fact, sinners. What would it be like if we were to come together and say, I messed up, you're messed up, we're all messed up, but because of the grace of God, we can love one another. I guarantee you, anyone who walks through the doors of this church, they will want to be a part of this community. That's why we have to remember we're sinners saved by grace. Let's, let's, let's pray that Satan will not use this religious spirit, this religiosity, this Pharisaic attitude, self-righteous attitude, but to love people 
because God has first loved us. Let me close in verse 14 and 15. Listen to what it says. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. We notice here the change of relationship between Jesus and his disciples. They're no longer just servants now, but they're friends. The level of intimacy and communication changes. Servants would have to just blindly obey the master. But now as friends, Jesus is sharing his heart with them. A servant usually does not have this close relationship with the master, but a friend does. A slave simply does what he is told to do without an explanation from the master. But as a friend, you explain things. You understand the heart of the other person. Jesus reminds the disciples what is entailed in having this new relationship with him. That's why you will notice the affirmation, the first thing. In verse 16, let me just quickly read verse 16. This is important. It goes, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you, may, you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, it may get, he may give it to you. What we see is that it's a powerful reminder that for, for us that it is not about what we do but what Christ has done for us. I pray that this is something that we will really internalize because I think, I know we have different ethnic groups here, but just being in Asia, I realize the problem that I see so often is our identity is based on what we do instead of who we are in Christ. And so this affirmation that comes, is one of the most powerful things in this new relationship. Another thing you will notice is the assignment that Jesus gives. The word appointed, as we just read, is translated as ordained. It refers to the act of setting somebody apart for a special service. You have been appointed. You have been ordained. It's a special service to bear fruit as Christ sends us into the world. I think one of the best ways to bear fruit is to be a transcultural community. And that's why I think this is great, just seeing some people who are just non-Asians who are here. And I pray there will be more of people from different ethnicities to represent the nations that God loves so much. And then thirdly, we see the appeal where we have to keep in mind the promise, the Father will answer prayer as we pray in his name. One thing just to keep in mind, once again, going on this theme or this idea of it's not based on what we do, but who we are. We have to keep in mind that the promise that he's going to answer it in his name, the father will answer prayer is, is the result of him choosing us. Listen to me carefully. It is the result of him choosing us and not the consequence of bearing fruit. So what I'm, let me simplify it. God will not answer the prayer because you're good. But because of who you are and who he is, he will answer the prayer. Can I get a good amen to that? And when you understand this, you realize, wow, then that's when we could pray for a lot of things in his name because it's all about him. And then in verse 7, we see, if you abide in me and my words abide, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
And then in verse 17, we see the reiteration of verse 12. Reminds us it's a command, not a suggestion. And that's how he closes out this section. Jesus expects, expects us to love. So the one thing, once again, is we all need a gospel community. So we must make it a priority in this church. So we can love and reach other people who have yet to experience the love of Christ. And I'm, let me just pause here I said, and say, it might not even be people who are yet to come into this community. There are people right now in this church who feel alone, judged, or maybe isolated. They're surrounded by people, but they're isolated. I'm wondering what we can do as we understand who we are. And as Christ exemplified this love, now he's expecting us to love. How can we now take steps of faith to love on people? To me, this is the gospel message. That we were so unlovable because of our sin. But Jesus Christ, in his tremendous love for us, because the love comes from the Father, that he went to the cross and died on the cross for your sins and my sins, so that the unlovable can now be loved because of who he is. And because we've experienced that, now we look around people who are lost, lonely, isolated, and we say, I can love you, not because of my love, because of Christ's love. I can love my spouse, even though they drive me crazy, or they've hurt me in the past, because Christ first loved me. There are times when I get so annoyed or bothered by my spouse or my kids, but the thing that helps me is to think about how messed up I was. Our our kids, as they were going through teenage years, I mean, overall, they were good kids but there were times when they did certain things and which got me all worked up and uh, Christina was like oh my goodness what are we going to do and then there are times when we're sitting down talking together about what we're going to do about our kid or about our children and all of a sudden we look at each other we're like but we were worse (laughs) at least they didn't get caught by the police or at at least you know they didn't sneak out at late at night you know all this kind of stuff and so we were just looking at each other like we were worse and as soon as we come to that conclusion, we just smile. We're like, yeah, let's just pray for them. It's amazing. But as soon as I see myself now, I'm a pastor now. I'm like, what is wrong with you? But as soon as we go, remember when you were 13, getting caught by the police? Like, we were worse. And that's when I realized, that's when you can love people. Think about how messed up you were, lost, without Christ. So anyone who walks in, anyone who's here, who's struggling, you're able to love them. So some next steps quickly is, first of all, pray to know more of God's love. Like, I really believe it has to be the Spirit of God that will reveal it to you. Just like what happened to me my freshman year when I thought about how much my parents loved me because I was just caught up with myself. I was so self-centered until God just sovereignly opened my eyes and made that connection to how much God loved me. So pray. Say, God, show me your love. Secondly is practice showing love. Like, it, it's, it's an action. You got you to gotta do it. So practice it. So say hi to the guest speaker. <laughs> so, you know, so, so love on people. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Some of you guys are helping each other's children. And you guys are, I'm like, wow, this is great. I want to film you, like, you know, anonymously. I just want to, and then I could go back and say, look, 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 there's a church that can do it, you know. You guys are raising a a, a child, a whole village here. So practice showing love. Third, promote unity at all costs. 
some of our little opinions and things we, we want, preferences, promote union, uh, unity at all costs. Because when you are unified, God could do some great things. Just a little side point. When you read the book of Acts, whenever there is a phrase, they were in one accord, they were unified, they were together, the next sentence, the next paragraph, or the next chapter, God did a miracle. Something powerful. That's why even in the Psalms it talks about that. That how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. And it says, there God will command a blessing. What would it be like if he says, wow, look at this group. They are unified in Christ, in my son. And God says, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to command this blessing in their church. God will do some phenomenal things. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.